God speaks his word this morning to us from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Thank you, choir. I'm such in a festive mood now. I'm ready to go. Can I show you my favorite place in the world? More specifically, though, where? Right. You're in the right ballpark. Uh, yeah, I need to show you my favorite uh, place uh, in, in the world. It might not be the prettiest, uh, but, you know, especially depending on what you're into— but it's a place where I can relax. It's, it's, it's probably, if somebody said, hey, you know, where do you want to spend your last day on earth? My wife would already know the answer to this question uh, if, I, if I got to pick. And, and, and here it is. Here's a picture of my favorite place on earth. That is not the Grand Canyon, in case you're wondering. Uh, that's not far from where we live. Uh, it's a small piece of what we call the Paladuro Canyon. Um, and, which is the second largest canyon system uh, in the United States. But this is actually just a, a small piece of it uh, called the Caprock Canyon. But, uh, so, so my grandparents, uh, and, and some of you got to meet my grandmother when she was here this summer, um, they were dry land farmers, cotton and wheat and whatever else could grow, um, but not down in it. If you look across the, the place there, you see how flat it is? Everything looks flat until you get here. So you actually can't see this until you ride up on it. Everything, the horizon is completely, completely flat. But, so they farmed up on top, and then there's a little bit of stuff in the middle before you get to that stuff where they would have cattle that could just kind of eat whatever there was to eat, you know, yucca and cactus and stuff like that, right? So, um, so but this was too rocky to farm and too, you know, uninhabitable for the cattle. So my grandparents didn't care anything about this. Um, and so, but as a kid, what do you think I was drawn to? That. I'm like, I want to go in there. Uh, and so much to, you know, that was a lot of my growing up and, and summers were spent hiking down into the bottom of that and out. And, and I've hiked all through all of that. Um, I think there's a couple more pictures uh, of it. This is, again, kind of sitting up on top, looking, uh, looking a different kind of direction with it. Um, this is, there's Avery and a couple of our friends kind of sitting out on top uh, as well, right before you go down in. Um, so, yeah, so this is, what, this is where I'll be in just a few days, hopefully, uh, sitting and getting some peace and quiet. There's no cell service there, um, which is fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, this is, this is where I like to take people in my free time when I have it. So, um, 
that's some petrified wood uh, that Avery and I found a couple of years ago. You can see she was about four. Uh, Avery's kind of always been my hiking buddy, and you can see they're kind of bigger than her head. There's some, some big chunks of petrified wood, and um, you can find arrowheads when you're not chasing, you know, run away from rattlesnakes. Up at the very top of that is, uh, is Avery climbing. Mom was not real happy from this picture. That's Avery in the front, and then our son Tristan. The two of them were hiking up to that little, little point together. So um, what you might notice about it, which, I, again, I think it's beautiful. It probably is not for everyone. I get it. Um, but it is both remote and it is actually desert. Um, it's not a place you could be for very long uh, without bringing in your own food and water because there's nothing to be found really there, like I said, unless you want to eat cactus pears, and those aren't very good. So, um, but the terrain is rough. It's dry. And, and, um, and so some people do call it the high desert um, just because of that. Um, but, it's, but it's nothing like some places on earth. This, this area gets about 15 inches of rain a year, something like that, on a, on a good year, about 15 inches. You know, some of you know places like Tucson or Phoenix, and, and those get, you know, 10 inches of rain a year, so, so even less than this area. Just in case you were wondering, Stillman gets about 36 inches of rain a year, uh, kind of on an average. I'm sure there are years that are, are better or worse than that. But So if you're from this area, the idea of a desert is probably hard to relate to. It's, it's a little bit easier for me because, because this is kind of where I grew up. And, um, and so while I can relate to the passage that we're going to read this morning, it's nothing like other places on the planet. Um, you know, Judah is a place that has lots and lots of desert. And so the readers would have been even more familiar with it. Um, there's a famous area in, in Judah called the, the Negev, um, which basically is just the desert wilderness. And so um, I, I want to show you kind of a picture. So this is, if you are looking south of Jerusalem, kind of the south and to the east, we're talking about wilderness and desert, right? You can see that. Uh, if you look at the very top of the picture, that's part of the Dead Sea, which if you know the Dead Sea, it's, it's so salty. If you drank it, it would poison you. Nothing can live in it. It's truly a Dead Sea. And there's truly out in the middle of the desert. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, here's a couple other pictures of what, of what it looks like in, uh, in Judah and kind of southern Israel. Uh, this, is, this is the wilderness the wilderness desert, the Negev. Uh, this is my favorite picture, by the way. Um, those are ibex in the bottom there. That I, someday, hopefully, I can chase them around a little bit. But those guys are awesome. But look at look beyond them. I mean, this is just crazy. So this, if you're wondering what that is, that's a waterfall. Why is there a waterfall, you ask, in the middle of the desert? Because it's just rained there. It's just rained there. And so... Uh, this area is so dry, it gets, you know, usually less than kind of five to eight inches of, of rain per year. And so when it does rain, the ground is so hard, it can't absorb the water, which sounds weird. It would, you think it would be the opposite, but it just can't because it's just rock solid. And so uh, in, in Texas, we call this flash flooding. I'm sure they have a, their own word for it in Judah. But it rains so hard and so fast that 
these dry creek beds turn into a river and beyond that, and they overflow, and, and then you have stuff like this. And so this is the image of stuff I want you to have for this morning as we read Isaiah 35, this idea of the Negev, the desert, truly a place that's n- that you couldn't live because it's too dry, coming to life, waterfalls of life coming into a place like that. And so Isaiah 35 is a, an image of a desert a desert coming to life. And so, so with these images in mind, let's pray together. Father, we know that you are the only one who can bring life when there is no life. You can do that anywhere, including in our hearts, in our minds. And Father, would you Use your word to that end this morning. Would you fill us with life? Would you fill us with joy because of your promises, because of your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are looking at Isaiah 35 this morning. It's on page 595 uh, of the, the Bibles in front of you. We'll read all 10 verses. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the, in the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I I have to admit that this year I bit off more than I could chew uh, in our journey of Isaiah. Uh, I I wanted us to have a look at the good news of the gospel as we can see it in Isaiah, but um, you know, as, as you have seen probably in the last few weeks, uh, and especially last week, if you hope, hopefully you were here for Mike's just an incredible message, but you got to see that there are so many interesting kind of political and historical elements to Isaiah, and, and so many things to understand. There's so many kingdoms and kings and armies and enemies, and, and Isaiah can just be so confusing because it goes over such a, a, a long amount of time. But hopefully we can kind of wrap it up this morning and, and, and tonight as well. So again, come, please come tonight. Uh, wrap that up. 
we can see the, the big idea, and that is that, that Isaiah was shown the current and future realities for God's people. And most importantly, he saw that God was doing something new, something world-changing through the promised Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Isaiah got to see, and that's the good news that he shared with the world. And so today I'm going to just try to keep the background of our passage really simple, okay? Isaiah lives a long time. He, he, he gets to li- live a long life, and he sees a lot of things. Uh, we know that he was allowed to see how Judah would be defeated, even though he wouldn't get to live that long. And he was also allowed to see what would happen to Judah in their exile, and he was allowed to see them coming back to the, to the land, um, and so he got to see the prophecy and how it would be partially fulfilled when, when the exiles would return in 516. Uh, and, and, and more than that, as you can read, Isaiah is getting to see something bigger. He, he, he's aware that something bigger is happening than just God's people coming back to, to, to Zion. Something, something really big, something earth-shattering. And, and so, uh, uh, as we've seen in Isaiah, there's, there's these kind of short-term fulfillments, and then there's going to be a f- Jesus coming the first time fulfillment, and then there's some stuff that we're still waiting for when Jesus will return again. It's kind of the second coming, the second fulfillment of all of this. And so, I want, you to, I want to take you back to our, our reading that, that we heard in Luke 1 just, just a minute ago. If you remember that story... It's, it's when the Virgin Mary is, is pregnant and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And, and we see um, both Elizabeth and her unborn son, who will soon be called John the Baptist, they're both given insight. Even, even in the womb, this baby is given an insight uh, and knowledge from the Holy Spirit that the baby inside of Mary is the promised Messiah. Elizabeth is given insight into that, and even John the Baptist is. And so the, the baby begins to leap for joy, which is kind of hard to imagine, but, but the baby is going crazy knowing that he's in, in, in the presence of the Messiah. And, and, and so we would just characterize this whole passage as joy. When they realize who this baby is, they are overcome with joy. Such a, such a cool little glimpse into this, this, this really neat story of, of the birth of Christ. And, and there's no guilt, there's no fear, there's no any, it's joy. It's joy because of the Messiah. This is the first recorded act of John, and, and it's him leaping for joy in the presence of Jesus. And, and it's one of the, the many places where John the Baptist will identify Jesus as this Messiah, as the promised one. But, but I was reminded as I was thinking about this, this passage in Luke 1 and, and Isaiah 35 that, that about John's last recorded words, his last recorded acts. Um, and those are found in Matthew 11. And it's actually an, an odd little story where, where John is, is kind of questioning, questioning the identity of Jesus. You see, John has, John has been arrested uh, for making some, some powerful people angry. And, and he's sitting in jail, and he sends some of his followers. If you remember the story of Matthew 11, he sends some of his followers, hey, go ask Jesus this question. Do you remember the question? 
Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect another? Should we, keep, should we keep waiting for somebody else, or are you the one? If you, if you read scholars, if you read you know, biblical commentators, they would say, John knew who Jesus was. He's known since he was in the womb who Jesus was. He's not really questioning the identity of the Messiah. But what's he doing? He says, essentially he's asking, hey, you know, I've been preparing the way for you my whole life. I've been telling people to get ready to worship you. And then here I am sitting in a prison cell. Are are you the Messiah? Are you going to do the stuff you've come to do? Are you going to get me out of here? Basically is kind of the the, 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 the hidden meaning of, of that little question. And how did, how did Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond? He says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me is how he ends that little statement. And what Jesus is, is saying, um, and, and some of it's really interesting for, for our passage, and we're going to get to that, but, but he's basically saying, look, I'm doing the stuff that the Messiah was foretold about in the Old Testament. These would be the things the Messiah does. I'm doing them, right? I'm, I'm healing people. I'm doing all these miracles and, and all of that stuff. And so, yes, I am the Messiah, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get you out of prison. That might not be the the path. That might not be the plan here, John. Don't give up faith in me just because of that. That's that's in in other words, that's what Jesus is saying to John. Stay faithful. Right? Following me means submitting uh, to, his, to 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 my plans, and 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 that might not look like you and I think they should. That's. So we would say maybe that's a sermon for another time, this, this idea of, of, of Matthew 11. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is going to authenticate his identity as the Messiah. And, and the way he's going to do that is he's going to link himself to our passage this morning. He's going to link himself to Isaiah 35. He says, look, tell John, the blind are seeing, the lame can walk. I'm doing all the stuff that's in Isaiah 35. So... We know this passage is about the first coming of Christ because Jesus told us so. We know there's still more to come. Uh, that we're gonna, you know, there's a second coming of Jesus, and and all of this will be completely fulfilled. But there is something that's already happened because Jesus came, and so that's what I want to focus on because you know it's Christmas Eve. So let's look at how Isaiah 35 is being fulfilled for us today and what that means. Because, see, Isaiah starts um, the vision by characterizing the desert as alive. And, and the desert is actually rejoicing. Why? Because it has seen the glory of the Lord, is what, is what the passage says. Creation has been waiting, and, and all that it's been waiting for has, has now come. And so creation, the desert is coming to life and it's dancing and rejoicing. And so joy again, just like we saw in Luke 1, joy is the main idea of this passage. Joy is referenced seven times in, in, in these ten verses. The, the desert has joy, but so does everything else. 
both the desert and all of God's people have been dead. It's been a place with barely any life, and, and his people have had barely any life, just barely getting by, just like the desert. And most of you know this place. If I said you live in the desert, you know what that means. You understand. You, 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 maybe you have a debilitating sickness or a disease or, 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 or an ailment that, that keeps life difficult for you. You know the desert. Maybe you are alone. You're in a place that you don't want to be. Or maybe this is a time in your life that feels like a desert because of a lack of resources, because things are, are, are tough and you're just barely, barely getting by. Maybe it's relational. Maybe a relational desert and you're, and you're having the, the biggest strain in your relationships that you've ever had and you just feel loneliness and sadness as a result of that. And life in the desert can be unbearable. I, I, just like you, I've had several different seasons or occurrences in my life of just absolute desert. And, and I can tell you that when you're in the desert, when you're in those times, you don't think you'll ever be cheerful again. You don't see a way out of the desert and you start to think, this is just the way it's going to be, I guess. The desert feels like it's your only fate. It's, it's impossible to imagine what joy and hope might look like, even if you could imagine it. If you've been in that place, you know what I'm talking about. But Isaiah says that, that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to transform all of that. And all of that is going to miraculously somehow come to life. And it's going to turn to joy. It's going to turn to joy because of the glory and the majesty of God. You see, joy is not coming because of luck and fortunate circumstances. That's not what Isaiah is saying here. I want you to read verses 3 and 4 with me again if you've, if you've got your Bibles there. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. What is the good news of Isaiah? We've been talking about it for weeks now. But it's the best news that you could ever hear. What is it? What is this best news? The thing that should bring us joy? That your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. And, and when he does, joy is, is the result. Isaiah 35 says that joy is the result. And, and as we keep going, verses 5 through 7 show the things that Jesus came and did. Healing the blind and the lame and the mute and the deaf. Bringing dead things back to life. That's what Jesus came and he did. And then we get to this last part, this verse, verses 8 through 10. And, and in it, Isaiah describes a highway. A highway that will run through the desert. And you don't see a whole lot of highways in the middle of the desert. It, it, he calls it a highway of holiness. 
Uh, other commentators and, and people throughout history have called it the highway to heaven. I don't know if you remember the great 80s TV show with Michael Landon, Highway to Heaven, yeah? That was good stuff, right? The highway to heaven, that's where this comes from. And it's right here in Isaiah 35. How do we get on this highway to heaven? Because that sounds like a good place to be, doesn't it? It's easy. It's easy. How do you get on the highway to holiness, the highway to heaven? Well, you just have to be holy. You just have to be a holy person. The toll to travel, if you will, this state is full of tollways, but the toll of this highway, the tollway to heaven is holiness. And this is where we have to go back to verse 4, where it says, He will come and save you. He will come and save you. So, so just understand, there is no way for you to pay the toll. There's no way for you and I to get on this highway to heaven, this highway of holiness by ourselves. The Messiah, born Jesus of Bethlehem, he came to pay the toll for this highway. He's the one who came to save us. He is the way on to this incredible highway. So how, how does this incredible prophecy end in verse 10? It says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to joy with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness in joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's the promise that we have because of the one who is going to come to save us. That is the result of the promised Messiah who will come and save us. The result is, is singing. We can't help but sing. You can't help but have everlasting joy because of the promised one. Yes, you and I will have difficulties and sadness and sorrow. You and I know too many of them, unfortunately. And yes, there will be times where life feels like a desert. But Jesus has come to save you. And, and if you choose that salvation through Christ alone, he's the only way on to this salvation. He's the only way on to that highway. There is for, in store for you and I forevermore gladness and joy. Forevermore a land where sorrow and sighing shall be no more. So this is why we have hope on a morning like today. This is how we can have everlasting joy. Because of Emmanuel. It's Christmas Eve, and Jesus Christ has come to save you. Let's pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And do what you have promised to do. To come and to save ransom Israel. Your people who are in bondage, who are living in the desert, need your salvation, your holiness, entry onto your highway that leads to eternal joy, eternal gladness, eternal peace, eternal love. Father, we await that. We know it's here. We know it's, there's still more even to come. And so, Father, we, 
we celebrate this morning yet and we also look forward to more. God, God, fill our hearts with joy. We should have no other response than that because of what we know to be true, that the Christ has come to save us. Thank you, Father. We pray this in his name. Amen.